you know, I realize I cry an awful lot when I preach. <laughs> this isn't going to help. <laughs> it's a Sunday. Um, why tears? It's because the power of the gospel. How can it not bring you to tears and overwhelm you? And that's the story that we all share. You know, I was, you know, it's we treat every Sunday like another Sunday sometimes. It's not just another Sunday. Not just, just because Donna's gone to be with the Lord, but because every day is a gift from God. Amen. And it's one more moment we get to share the word of our testimony about how faithful he's been and how trustworthy he's been to us. You know, it's, you know, unfortunately it's moments like this when we start to relive our past and remember all the things that he's brought us through. You know, as children, how we depended on our parents to take care of us, train us up to comfort us when we failed, cheer us on when we succeeded. You know, sometimes reminded of the times when we're in our teen years and we thought we knew all the answers. You know, bleed we were independent, careless, reckless at times. You know, often we would ignore good counsel and ignore God. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe you're like my wife, who seemed to be a Christian her whole life. You know, maybe you're fortunate to realize you didn't have all the answers. And at a young age, you turned your heart toward the Lord. And it was a different past, you know. Still must have learned, still many mistakes, but a little different. You know, maybe you're a person who has never known what it's like to trust God with your life. I don't know where you are at right now. Maybe you're here and you think we're all a little bit crazy. I mean, it's not very often that you see a man that's like 400 pounds walk in and tell you about the love of God. Usually you want to run away, you know. I, t I think I, I, Don loved to joke, so I kind of joked with him while he was laying in, his, laying in the bed. And I was like, you know, I don't know if they have robes of righteousness that large. <laughs> you might have to wait outside for a little while until they finish. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. Maybe you're here and you think we're crazy. Maybe you're here and you're just desperate, you know, desperate for meaning, forgiveness, restoration, all those things. Maybe you're a teenager and you're heading into an adulthood and you have no idea what you should do or where you're going. Maybe you find you're thinking, you're thinking that church and religion is a waste of time. I got no idea. We're all different. We're all in different places. We have different stories. But here's the important fact about what happens in this building. We're family. And I got news for you, family's messy. But at the same time, when it's messy, it's beautiful. You know, as a family, we come together in all the stages of life. How many pictures did we see on Facebook of all the marriages he was involved in? Starting them out. All the babies he uh, dedicated, 
the funerals he went to, <laughs> you know, all those things. All those stages you know, of life we find ourselves in, we come together. We're the body of Christ, and together as a family, we're supposed to be joined together. You know, a holy body of Christ. As a family, we're supposed to be that, joined together to supply for each other's needs according to one another, to walk the hills and valleys of this short life. It says that in Ephesians, right? You know, we come alongside each other, joined, held together, each one supporting ligaments, serving, growing together, building the body, and growing in love. And it's been a hard week. You know, an emotional roller coaster a bit because we've lost a precious brother and friend. You know, for many of us, you know, Don was someone uh, we have walked side by side with for what Dennis just did 30, 40, 50 years. You know, we listened to his words, encouraged by his love for the word. He loved God, he loved people. You know, sometimes I might have found him a little frustrating. He might have been a little stubborn, but so am I. <laughs> you know, that's what family does. You know, we, we face it. We all have those flaws. He was fully aware of his flaws. Uh, it was one of the reasons we, come, we came together as a church. We know our flaws. We know our need for a Savior. Um, that's why we're a church. We, we, we know that, you know. We remind ourselves of the hope we have in Christ. The incredible love Christ has shown us. The God who loves us so much. Who has you know, overcome our sin and our flaws through his sacrificial love. You know, Don shared with us every that with us every time he spoke to us. His life was a testament to that overwhelming love. You know, almost every time he prayed, he would pray, Thank you, Lord, for loving us. You know, and so I had no idea what I would say today. Praying, trying to prepare something, and then my mind would wander and I would struggle to find focus to find myself, you know, I would stop, just pray, intercede for Jackie and the girls and family. You know, there's a task to complete still. Um, I didn't know exactly what I was gonna do. Several times I had to put that, put that aside, you know, the job, the task, you know, and say, God, I just need to spend time with you, which we often don't do enough. What was interesting about these times during this week is that I didn't have a lot to say. To him, it's probably a good thing. Because I probably talk way more to him than I should be instead of listening. And I just found myself sitting in silence with my mind focused, not really on anything to say. I just sat and realized I don't know how to pray as I should. I don't know if I can really describe the love of Christ that I know is there. You know, I had, I was with Ryan and um, Rodney in his room up in Albany, and Romans 8's just been repeating in my mind. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's read some of it, though. It's a bit of a section, but I, you know, I'd read the whole thing when I was up there with him, because it's powerful. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes and what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it, it is God who justifies. Who is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, regarded sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like Don would pray, right? Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we grieve. Our hearts are broken. But our grief is different. So what Anita was saying, God didn't tell us not to grieve. But he did tell us our grief is supposed to be different. Blessed are those who mourn, for thou shalt be comforted. We've been reading that. Now we come in contact with it. And it puts on flesh. Look what it says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Our faith gives us hope. 
Because of that hope, we can deal with the grief that will eventually touch us all. You know, death will come for those we love. It'll come for us eventually. Unless he returns. I'll take that. Caught up together in the clouds? Sounds good to me. You know, at times we'll grieve, but our grief is different. There's a balance to it. Grief, hope. You know, unfortunately, in church, we think that Christians shouldn't grieve at all. When death comes, we can take this aloof approach to it. It's not correct. We can try to convince ourselves that we shouldn't grieve at all because of the hope that we're supposed to have. You know, we treat it as unbecoming if a believer sheds tears about things or whatever. We have to be tough, whatever it is. That's not what Paul is saying. He isn't saying, you know, as Christians, we don't grieve. We do grieve, but that grief is balanced by our hope. You know, Christians grieve. We have a Savior who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows grief. You know, in John 11, we see him grieving. When Lazarus dies, he wept. He grieved. You know, he didn't walk in and tell them to stop grieving. Right? He wept. He was deeply moved. You know, we have a hard time grasping what's happening when Jesus arrives. He doesn't say much. You know, Mary comes out to him and he doesn't really say anything to her. And the account says he wept. You know, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. When he goes into the tomb, you know, the translation is not that great in English. But the, you know, the depth of emotion, it's hidden from us. You know, I guess if, if you were to paint the picture that uh, the original language is, did, it's, it was like he was trembling with anger and emotion as he approached the tomb. You know, in Ephesians, we are, we are told to be angry and not to sin. And I think we see that picture here. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us not to get angry. It tells us it's okay, but our anger shouldn't be directed at people. God loves people, but he gets angry with sin. Right? Anger towards wickedness, the pain it causes, that's the anger that we're allowed to have. Jesus was angry because death was not the way things were supposed to be. Sin was not the way it was supposed to be. Death is not supposed to be part of his creation. Sin brought death instead of life, and gets and and we're you know we were instead we were supposed to get stronger, instead we grow weaker. That wasn't the way it was supposed to be, you know. We get sick when originally we were supposed to get stronger. We were, you know we get old and wrinkled, instead of becoming more beautiful, and fulfilled like he probably originally designed it. You know, so we grieve because it wasn't supposed to be this way. We get angry when we see pain, uh, the pain sin has brought on the world and to its inhabitants. We should be moved with compassion when we see the enemy strike and twist what God meant for our pleasure and for his glory. When he tries to use it and corrupt it, we sh it should move us to action. We are moved to action like God was moved to action. You know, God was so moved by his love for us that he sent his son to make right what had been corrupted. 
and lost, his anger towards sin, you know, and its effect on his creation, it moved him to do something about it. It moved him to destroy and take the keys of death, hell, and the grave and spoil principalities and powers. Death, hell, and the grave no longer have a hold on us because of his work. The perfect high priest he came as. He came as our provider, our protector, the word made flesh, the promise keeper. You know, the covenant maker. The bridegroom who loves his bride. And came to clothe her in righteousness. You know, so she would be without spot or blemish. Death would no longer have a hold on her. Her sin would be washed away. He did, what, he did that so we would enter and take part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Found a revelation. You know, that's the beauty of our relationship with God. He's the perfect husband who keeps every vow and every promise. You know, I, I, that's why I was sending messages to Amy. It's like, do I skip it? Do I not talk about it? You know, there's much about what we're going to talk about that is relevant to what we're going through as I was thinking about it more. You know, a, a truth that we need to grab a hold of, a glory revealed that deepens our relationship with the Lord, the truth that shines a light on our fallen nature and in the same moment reveals the glory of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. You know, you might be thinking, wait a minute, he's going to talk about divorce. You know, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And it's supposed to, it's supposed to be our topic, Matthew 5. Jesus moves through these different topics. You know, he, he's talking, he talked about anger, lust. Dennis talked about divorce, and I'm supposed to, or lust, and I'm supposed to talk about divorce. You know, we realized, I was thinking about, we, we surrounded Valentine's Day with lust and divorce. <laughs> I'm like, Wonderful. <laughs> You know, he talks about anger, lust, divorce, oaths and promises, retaliation, loving your enemies, taking care of the needy. These are the topics he covers. You know, maybe some of you are scared to come to church knowing that this divorce is going to be the topic today because you've been touched by it in different ways. You know, painful because so many things have happened, you know, failures, hurts, the pain it causes children, all that saying, it's our fallen nature. You know, I was looking at the heading of each thing that he covered when he covered all those topics in Matthew. And each one can be looked at through a lens of marriage and divorce. You know, you think about it. You know, a perfect marriage, we should be patient and slow to anger. In millions of weddings, we read from 1 Corinthians 13 and then forget all about it. When we walk out, love is patient, love is kind, and we see all too often broken marriages where anger has taken hold and brought about separation and divorce. You know, we see it take hold and, and break marriages. Let's say, let's lust, you know? Let our eyes not wander from the one that we've promised ourselves to. And if we have lust, it leads us into adultery, an illegitimate, illegitimate desire for another one that's not our husband or our wife. Oaths, you know, we break our vows and our promises, you know, those vows that we promised before God and before witnesses. 
at our marriage ceremony. We walk away from them, and we're often promise breakers instead of promise keepers. You know, we take up offenses, you know, and retaliate against our spouse because of a pain or a hurt that they've done to us or a perceived pain or hurt. You know, when we act out that resentment and retaliate and let the evil one take a hold of our hearts and marriage ends because of the hurt that's taken place, you know, because of so many of these things, our marriages fail. Relationships are destroyed. Homes are broken. And it makes God angry because it's not supposed to be that way. You know, the word says God hates divorce and he gets angry because of it. And because of the hardness of our hearts, we do it. You know, his righteous anger is stirred up because it destroys the perfect union that God designed. He set it in place. It was his idea. You know, the scriptures start with God himself officiating the first wedding. Right? You know, the relationship between Adam and Eve. God creates everything. And as he goes along after each thing it's created, he says, what? It's good. It's great. It's perfect. Gets to Adam, it's the only thing he says has to be changed. Says that it's not good. What does he say? It's not good. He says it's not good for a man to be alone. So in Genesis chapters 2, he says he will make him a helper, someone to be with him so that he isn't alone. It's interesting because if you think about it, Adam didn't know he was alone. Right? Until he was brought out and he's like, whoa, man. Right? Isn't that what the... Don said that a couple of times. Anyway. <laughs> he wasn't alone. You know, he had no idea there was something missing. He didn't realize he was incomplete and that it wasn't good. But God knew it wasn't good. Why did God say that it wasn't good? He, he knew it wasn't good because God was never alone. You know, God has never known aloneness. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And alone is not a thing with God. And so he knows it's not good. So he puts man to sleep. And I think it was purposeful that he put him to sleep. That way Adam couldn't take any credit. Right? Use, it, use, use that work as a means to like rule over his wife in a way that it wasn't meant to be. You know, like, you remember that day I made you? I could take you out too. You know, I don't know what he would, you know, but it's like he couldn't take any credit. He did, you know. No, it's, it was God's idea. Adam had nothing to do with it, no credit. God ordained it and set it in place because it was a reflection of who he was, his personhood. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he creates, a, you know, another trinity with Adam and Eve, and then they have children, you know, three and three. To fill the earth, take dominion over it, fellowship, unity, love, caring, relationship, he gifts, you know, the ability to become creators. He gifts us with that, to bring children into the earth, and it's incredible. You know, what God was within himself was reflected in this union. In our marriages, such a profound mystery is found with marriage. The institution of marriage is put into place to reveal the mystery of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The revelation of Christ as our bridegroom and our husband. The marriage supper of the Lamb. All of that. You know, the entire Bible is about this relationship. 
The Bible starts with a marriage in Genesis and ends with a marriage in Revelation. With Christ taking his spotless bride, all things made new, every tear wiped away. Death shall be no more, no mourning, no crying, no pain. He's paid the price for his bride and has adorned her with righteousness. You know, she's washed clean, made spotless and complete. And there's no way to cover the magnitude of it in the little time I've got. You know, it's a great mystery. A mega mysterion is how it's described. You know, it's profound. You know, the last sermon that Don preached, January 1st, he talked about covenant. You know, every marriage starts in a proclamation of covenant. Covenant, we make vows and promises. And our God is a covenant-keeping God, and he makes covenant with us as his bride. You know, we have a covenant-keeping God who made a way where there seemed to be no way. Did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. We're no longer condemned, but justified through his sacrifice. He intercedes on our behalf. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. He keeps his word. He will love us and cherish us in sickness, in health, rich or poor, good times, bad times. Until death do us part is what it says when we end our vows. But God says, you don't have to worry about death. Because through my death... You and I will never be separated. And that's my promise to you. You know, so even as our flesh fades away, we don't have to worry about it. We will break through the veil and enter into eternity with our beloved husband. With Christ in glory, feasting, celebrating, a, rest a restoration of what marriage was always meant to be, relationship, covenant, restoration, creation, and creativity. You know, he's the perfect husband who makes his vows and keeps them perfectly. He's a faithful husband no matter what, willing to give everything he had to com complete and make whole his bride, love and to serve her despite her unfaithfulness to, her, to him. Marriage is hard work, you know, glorious and wonderful, but it's hard and it's a struggle sometimes. You know, it takes all our effort and commitment to make it work. Blood, sweat, tears, anguish, heartache, sacrifice, submission, and unity. It's all part of the journey. But great joy and strength are found when we persevere. It can be exhausting and it can be humbling. But it's worth it. Right? There's no relationship that paints a better picture of the relationship to God than marriage. That's why there is no relationship here on earth that is greater and more important than marriage. You know, if you're married, have you noticed that understanding and knowing the love and joy that can be found in marriage is sometimes difficult? You know, we fight our own selfish desires. We struggle with understanding each other. We, we can hurt our spouse in terrible ways sometimes. We treat them with contempt. All sorts of trouble can rise up. You know, when we get on the other side of those struggles, it's, it's rewarding. You know, the people that have gone 50 years and, and, you know, they'll tell you it wasn't easy, but it's so worth it when they get there. Fulfilling the wondrous relationship we, have, we will ever know on this earth until we break into glory and have a new relationship with our Father. 
you know, with our husband. You know, our relationship to God is a marriage. The same relationship with our spouse is a picture of a relationship to God. A journey with God has the same struggles. Not on God's side of the relationship, <laughs> but because he's perfect husband. He's the perfect husband. But on our side of relationship is where we, we struggle. We treat God with contempt. We don't understand him. We hurt him in ways that are terrible. But each day, if we stick with him and love him, the joy we'll find in him will grow deeper and deeper. You know, it's more fulfilling and rewarding. You know, the great mystery. And like I said, I don't know if I express it in ways that reveals the truth of marriage, you know, the truth of the gospel. It's, it's truly deep. Revelation that our society is continually whittling away at. You know, we've distorted that marriage that, was in, that it was intended to be. You know, we have turned our marriage into relationships that focus on ourselves more than we focus on our spouses. In Western society, our relationships are based on what, you know, what can we get out of it instead of putting the effort into building and cultivating a relationship that ultimately brings satisfaction and meaning. You know, we look for instant gratification. You know, out of selfish desires, are often unwilling to put our needs aside in order to fulfill the needs of another. To lay down our lives for our spouse is not what our culture promotes anymore. Instead, we want the perfect mate, the one who will complete us and fulfill us, someone who fulfills us and, and we forget that love isn't easy. We are looking for that perfect mate, but we fail to realize that, that perfect mate is impossible to find here on earth. We have a low view of the, world, of the work it takes. You know, we think that love is just something we fall into. It's just like the nesty plunge. It's just refreshing. If you remember that commercial. Anyway, it should be easy. It shouldn't be difficult. It should be filled with passion and excitement. You know, we want to live in, a, in, the moment, in moments of bliss and emotion and passion and feelings and all that stuff. You know, and all of society is promoting this view. It's all about me. It's not about us. You know, we think marriage is, is now we say much of it is patriarchal and oppressive. And we should expand our understanding, not be tied to someone that doesn't fulfill us. Because, you know, we, f we should fulfill ourselves. You know, sacrifice for another, forget that. It's about me. You know, it's all about what we can get out of it, you know. I heard this sermon, uh, Matt Chandler, I really like Matt Chandler, and he was talking about this. He was talking about the love of God during Christmas time. And he was talking about it, and now he probably does a much better job than I do, but he was talking about a movie that he went to see with his wife, you know, The Notebook. He went to see The Notebook, and he said, I cried like a baby, <laughs> you know. And then he said, you know, that, and I hadn't really thought about it, but I know how many people have seen The Notebook? Ladies, I mean, okay, I'm going to destroy it. <laughs> Sorry if you really liked it. But people were all caught up in this movie when it came out. That's such a great love story. You know, what a load of nonsense it was. I mean, sure, we get to the end of the movie and we cry, you know, they die together in their arms and blah, 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 all this stuff. And, you know... It's all about emotion. If you, you know, but if we really analyze the movie, it's kind of ugly. You know, we realize the woman in this movie is a really terrible person. You know, think about it. She has this summer fling. You know, forbidden relationship 
with this guy, and her parents don't like him, so it's forbidden love, and she just that she just can't have. And it seems like these two people never seem to agree on anything. Do you remember? How, I mean, if you've seen the movie, do you notice how many times they yell at each other and they're screaming at each other? You know, and then <laughs> you know uh, they fight, except when they're in a passionate embrace. It's all about passion and lust. You know, then they stop fighting for a couple of minutes, and then they're back at it again. You know, finally they end up in this humongous fight, and she leaves thinking they'll never see each other again. And it's World War II, this is happening, you know, and so she, she starts a nursing career, and she's nursing all these wounded soldiers back to, you know, back to health, and this soldier who she nurses back to health falls in love with her. You know, asks her to go dancing, and he cares for her, and he loves her, he respects her, there's an admiration for her, and there's this fullness that's there. And for some reason, she still feels incomplete and bored with this relationship. Because when she sees a newspaper clip about this old fling, she tells her fiancé, there's something that I just have to do and I have to take care of. And he says, go ahead if you have to take care of something. Never holds her hand and says, you can't go. You know, uh, lets her go, and she finds this old brother friend, friend, cheats on her fiance, has this illicit relationship with this guy, and then she comes back and tells her fiance about this affair he, she has, and he's still willing to take her back. That guy's the hero, not this other schmuck. <laughs> you know. He loves her. He's willing to serve her and sacrifice for her. Take her back when she makes a mistake. You know, she goes after this other guy who she constantly seems fight to be fighting with instead of the guy who respects her and wants to take care of her. She leaves that stable guy who never raised his voice at her. I don't think I ever saw in that movie him raise his voice at her. And loves her unconditionally. She walks away from him and goes with this other guy despite her flaws and goes away with this other guy. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but she's a terrible person. It's about passion, not love. Sacrifice, patience, kindness, putting others before yourself. That's what true love looks like. Not a passionate kiss in an illicit relationship. We mistake passion and lust for love, and it's not love. We believe that true love should be easy and it won't require any hard work. It won't require self-sacrifice. True love is something we just fall into, like I said before. When marriage and relationships are falling apart, we lament that love shouldn't be this hard. If we go to a counselor, love shouldn't be this hard. You know, where did we get that idea from? You know, let's compare love and relationship to any other endeavor there is. You know, to have success in anything else, what does it take? It takes hard work. You know, of course it takes hard work. You know, I'm a musician. So musicians, they say it takes, I think I talked to Fran about this one time, it takes a minimum of 10 years or 10,000 hours to master whatever instrument you're playing. You know, we can, for some reason, we can seem to understand that. 
you know, professional athletes and the like spend hundreds and thousands of hours working on their skills and building muscle and all those other things to become the best that they can be at something. But with love and marriage, it's just assumed that it's just something you fall into. You know, that it should be easy. We think personal fulfillment should be a natural thing when we find our soulmate and that perfect person who will fulfill us. That's not reality. We'll never marry the perfect person. Actually, we'll probably marry the wrong person. It's like, what? How can you marry the wrong person? Well, I mean, you marry the wrong... What do I mean? If, any, if anyone has been married for any length of time, they will tell you that the, the, the person seemed like the perfect match, but as time goes by, they will become somebody else. You know, why? Because we're no longer the same person we were before we were married. You know, we put on a good show before we get married because, you know, we like this person. You know, all of a sudden the veil comes off and off we're looking at a stranger who's living in the same house. You know, the moment we marry, we start to change. We never know, you know, what those changes will be. We'll never know who our spouse will become in the future until we get to the future. You know, my wife has probably been married to five different people over the past 25 years. <laughs> Sounds wrong, but I changed, I'm sure. I'm sure there was one, one or two of those people she wasn't very fond of. You know, marriage will change us. Time changes us. You know, and the other big thing is, you know, we're broken people. You know, we're selfish, we're self-consumed, immature, yet for some reason we still have this notion that true love is without conflict and that it doesn't take commitment and hard work. And those expectations of perfect marital bliss puts an impossible weight on the relationships we have with our spouses. You know, our view has changed over the years and it's not for the better. You know, before we thought family and marriage was expected to provide, you know, it was expected to provide us with love and support. But it wasn't supposed to be like the everything. You know, God was supposed to be the one who brought true meaning to our lives. And marriage was just, an, was just a part of that. Now we put all our eggs in the basket of marriage or in, in relationships and we forget about our creator. We look for meaning and self-identity in the things here on earth. We put all sorts of things before God. You know, sometimes it's our jobs, and we think we'll, we'll be truly fulfilled if we have success. Um, we feel complete then, or, or we put that weight on our relationships with our spouses. We expect them to complete us and fulfill us. You know, we forget it's God who brings completeness and true identity, and that we should find our true identity in Christ, not our marriages. You know, our marriages are supposed to support that, not replace it. You know, I know I have, a, I, have, I have to wrap this up, I know. So I'll try not to be much longer, but let's look at one more scrap, scrap, passage in Scripture. Uh, let's go to Ephesians. Because everybody loves this passage. Dancing around it a bit, referencing it here and now, but we just need to read it. Because it's the great mystery that we need to uncover and reveal. <laughs> right? And I pray the Spirit helps us understand the fullness of it. So Ephesians 5. Best thing. Best passage of scripture there is. 5, 22 to 33. Ready? Here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast <clears throat> to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mega mystery. Mega mysterion is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Now, don't we love this passage of scripture? You know, it's recited at every wedding. How many weddings have you heard this one recited at? None. <laughs> Probably should be. You know, it's not the first thing we think about when we walk down the aisle and give ourselves to one another. Uh, and don't worry, ladies, I'm not going to focus on the first three verses. Well, not yet anyway. But have you noticed that the ladies have this much and the guys have this much? We seem to focus on the, this much more than we focus on this much. You know, Paul tells us there's a great mystery that God unfolds and reveals to us through the Spirit. Man shall leave his mother father and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Then he says this mystery is profound because it refers to Christ in the church. He's talking about the love of Christ that he has for his bride, for his church. The secret of marriage is that it points to Christ in his relationship with us. If we're reflecting Christ in our marriage, it becomes an incredible revealer of his love and his desire for us. You know, that se the secret is the gospel of Christ. You know, husbands should reflect the gospel in our marriages. Christ loved his people. He loves his bride. He loves us. He loves his church, and he gave himself up for her. The Son of God was willing to humble himself, give up his glory, and took on our nature, laid down his life for us, paid the penalty for our sins, removed all the darkness and the stains and the blemishes in order to make us his perfect bride. He gave up all the power he had to become a servant. And he put aside himself in order to fill our needs and, and our interests. He did that all to bring unity and restoration. He was patient. He was kind. You know, that's the mystery revealed in marriage. If it's done the way it's supposed to be. You know, Paul understands this. That's why he refers to the first marriage in Genesis between Adam and Eve. The mystery that God has had this planned from the start. You know, when, when he created marriage, in that moment when he pulled Eve out of Adam's side, he had Christ and the church in mind. He knew the price that would have to be paid. And he was willing to do it, do all that was required to perfect his bride and to love her, even though she constantly walked away from him. Read Hosea. <laughs> it's not a you know, it's not a patriarchal, oppressive thing. And it shouldn't be made obsolete. It should be celebrated. It should be cherished and nurtured. 
You know, unfortunately, we're self-absorbed and not too smart. And as his church, as his bride, we refuse our husband. We refuse to submit to him. You know, we look for illegitimate relationships and things to fill our needs, just like in the notebook. We walk, you know, walk away from the man who cherished her and loved her. Walked away from the man who was willing to forgive her and provide for her. The man who was willing to serve her and love her unconditionally. You know, I know, we'll come back to it. Sorry, ladies, I got to come back to it. It says, wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord. It says, submit yourselves. Your husband can't make you submit. Society doesn't make you submit. You submit yourselves. That's our relationship with Christ. He's asking us to submit ourselves to Him, and then we will be fulfilled. We serve Him. You know, that's what He, he designed us to walk the earth. You know, when He put us in, in the garden, it was to serve Him. It was to submit to Him. And He says there's great joy and great blessing in this. Now, we're human. We blow it all the time. We, you know, we think submission is something, you know, it's like a, this oppressive thing. and it's, it's not. It's, it's like a beautiful thing when it's done right. If man lays down his life for his wife and his wife honors him and, and all this stuff, it's like this beautiful thing that's fulfilling and wonderful if we can do it, but we don't. Yes, we do turn it into something oppressive and something wrong. But he's not oppressive. He's not cruel. He's, perf he's the perfect gentleman, and he's willing to sacrifice everything to bring us together, united with him as his bride. You know, when we lay down our lives and run to our husband, we will find the fullness of joy that he has for us. You know, he is the perfect loving husband. He never breaks his promises. He never breaks his covenant. Always has our best interest in mind because he loves us. He sacrificed everything for us. You know, our marriages should point people to Christ. It should point our kids to Christ. That's the purpose of it. We have unity. We create these new little beings that we're supposed to show what Christ's love looks like. When he sees me, or they see me, treat my wife with sacrificial love, they will understand the love of the Father. And that's the purpose when, she's, when, when she respects her husband and, and, and treats him accordingly and all those things and loves him, she will, they will see the response we're supposed to have to the Father and to our husband. And Jesus gave himself up for us to make us whole, to make us spotless, to bring us into perfect union with himself. In our marriage and our lives, we're called to also give up ourselves, to die to ourselves. Submit to his will and his calling. Repent for running away from his perfect love and looking for, for fulfillment apart from him. That's why God hates divorce. Why it was never part of the plan for marriages. You know, the hardness of our hearts and our fallen nature cause separation and paints an ugly picture. And our marriages should point to Christ. And when it does, it's a beautiful masterpiece. You know, where we can see the work of Christ revealed. And I don't know where you are and what pain has been there in your past. Broken relationship, broken marriages. Maybe I haven't painted the perfect picture. There's all been times in our lives when we haven't painted the picture perfectly. And that's the beauty of, of the perfect husband. 
right? He knows it. He knows our brokenness. He's not surprised or shocked when we blow it. He's the perfect husband and he wants to become one with you and have unity with you. He came to bring forgiveness and restoration to all of our brokenness. He loves you. Really loves you. The history, you know, of community gospel and the desire of Don's heart was for us to understand our loving, covenant-keeping God. The God who is always faithful, even when we're unfaithful. Who loves us with a never-ending love. Who loves us so much that he's willing to give up everything for us. You know, I, I heard Tim Keller say this. And it's true. The gospel reveals this to us. And this is what he says. He says that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yeah? Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Matt Chandler calls Tim Keller a word Jedi. <laughs> you know? It's true, it's true. He, he's, he's amazing sometimes. You know, he loves you. He does. He loves you. He loves you. All the pastor Don was devoted to expressing this truth, to revealing the gospel to us so we would come to understand the depth and beauty of God's perfect love. You remember all the sermons? You know, I finished this sermon and I started to scroll through and Ben posted this picture of a note he posted in the back of his Bible and instantly I broke down because I wrote the same thing. You know, never those sermons when he would express that one thing he desired for his family was that they would fully understand how much he loved them. Don said, "If if he has if he has a, if he as a sinner as an imperfect man wanted his daughters and his wife to know how much he loved them, and that he would never and that they would never doubt it. You know how much more." Must God want his children and his bride to understand the depths of his love for us and never for an instant doubt it? You know, the one thing that pleased God, thank you, is that his children would know that he loves them. And I pray we carry on that legacy, the legacy of proclaiming the love of Christ, proclaiming the truth of the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. So I pray, just like Paul did, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant us to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we just thank you for loving us. And I just pray that you just help us to never forget it. Yeah, there's going to be times when we blow it. And we thank you that you're a forgiving God, that when we repent, you are willing to forgive us. And you have made a way where there wasn't a way before for us to come into your presence to celebrate in the marriage supper of the Lamb one day that you will take us as your spotless bride. Help us in our marriages to reflect the love that you have for us as we love on our spouses and our children. We just thank you and we praise you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.